Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. All right, Chris. Um, it's only the, um, I guess, second time today that I've had to ask you to explain something that you uh, <laughs> that you shared with me, um, and I loved it because uh, you know I think the thing we wanted to talk about today was a continuation of this theme uh, in the holiday season, end of year. Last time we got together, we talked about stress, and you know we're all ambitious. We're all focused. Uh, what are the things that cause us stress? Is it is one of those things goals and the, how we set goals, why we set those goals, et cetera? And in the context of our conversation, you brought up uh, a philosophical uh, characterization of human beings, and I want I'm not even going to attempt at it, but I want you to start us off there. Yeah, um, it's funny because I said this phrase to my daughter one night, and she was like, "Wait, say that again." recorded it, sent it to a text, to a friend, because, you know, they're trying to figure themselves out. And But Rene Girard uh, talked about this idea that we are mimetic beings, not to be confused with memes, uh, but mimetic meaning we copy, we mime, right? So the we are, we're seeing something that somebody else wants or what they have, and that's then informing our desires. And what would happen you know, for so many people without awareness on this is they're driven then by things that they're convinced are going to make life better. Of course, we've seen that in working with people and achievement and performance and you get there and it's not all that. Mm. So this isn't easy. It isn't easy to figure out what you really want. Um, it's hard enough to go after what you want, much less is it something that is born out of true desire. Right. And so, and that brings us to this concept of why is having a goal or an ambition or an intention born of true desire so important? Well, that's where the passion is unblocked. Uh, you know, I love the way the author of The Talent Code talked about this idea. You know, that whole book is about getting to the edge of your abilities and, and being at your best. And he said, kid, parents ask me all the time, is my kid passionate about the sport? Because he's talking about how hmm. what, what you need to really become world class and he said this, if you have to ask if they're passionate, they're not. And, you know, I look at like my daughter wanting to be a gymnast. You know, she didn't have to like buy a bunch of books on becoming a gymnast and outline it and create uh, morning routines around it and hype herself up in the mirror. She started taking the baby steps towards it out of that desire. Now, was it real desire for her or mimetic desire? Probably real desire because she flipped around the house all the time in a way that drove us crazy. <laughs> um, but that was something that was really powerful. Same thing that one of my kids did with becoming a model. And and so 
it's it's hard enough to go after what you want in life because the vision will always outpace the resources. You're always going to face resistance, these gaps, these challenges. But at a fundamental level, if you're wanting it and there's a desire there, even if it's an unhealthy desire, that's how you're going to proceed and move forward. What's even a deeper take on things is to go, is this something I really want? Am I about to sacrifice for something that I think will be amazing only to get there and find out I thought this would feel better? Right. And I, you know, I've heard um, lots of quotes around this idea is, you know, I don't want team members who want to be great. I want team members who must be great. Right. So there's that difference between making that, making the goal or the desire something intellectual Mm. versus the must, which makes it much more you know, part of who you are and your, you know, your, your being and something that you cannot, you go to bed thinking about, you wake up thinking about much, I guess, would that be much more emotional versus intellectual? How would you characterize that? Yeah. You know, I think, um, would I separate it that way? I think I would think about it more along the lines of the strong, you desire something all the time. You desire comfort, you desire rest, you desire whatever. It's when the strongest desire is to advance. You know, when I woke up this morning, I desired to be a little lazy. Um, And I was for a little bit, laid on the couch. Then I went and did the sauna, and then I was sipping my coffee. I was like, ooh, I'd like to sit here and read for a few hours. I read a little bit, but that desire started to go, no, 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 I want to go advance this thing. So... We're all a bag of competing desires, um, but which one's going to win out? Right. So let's talk about this in the context of uh, what we do, right? So if we think about running a business or in the context of our podcast, being a salesperson or running a sales organization uh, or leading a business that is going to drive growth through the development of a high-functioning sales organization. Um, you know, it's the the business owner, for example, may have a strong desire to create jobs, uh, contribute to the community, uh, and of course, be enriched at some point with a life-changing exit, so she can spoil her grandkids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from a, from the beach in Nap. Yeah, Naples, for example, um, you know, all things that, you know, well, well balanced, well aligned, everything else. But at the end of the day, in order to get there, we've got to hit some milestones. Mm. And so those goals end, end up becoming intellectual exercises, uh, parts of plans that um, may or may not be well formed. Uh, and they may end up being goals you know, I, I, I kind of look at them as artificial, right? They're just things that we plucked from air and plopped on paper and said, in order for me to get here, I'm going to have to get here. And so now that becomes a goal that I worked my ass off for. But at the end of the day, um, was it realistic? Um, do I have the resources to make it happen? Was it well thought out, everything else? So those goals can end up and plans can end up um, creating disappointment, creating stress, making things difficult. Um, If you read some books, uh, if you give up on a goal, you're a loser, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, 
but if, and if you pivot, right, you're not committed. Uh, and so us, so as mimetic, mimetic beings <laughs> yeah. who judge ourselves based on what other people are doing, if we see other people staying committed and moving forward, but we feel like a pivot makes sense, uh, and that can create stress for us or uncertainty, et cetera. What is, what is the best way for us to kind of think about that entire process, both creating the, the plans, identifying those goals, creating the plans, and then also thinking about pivots and things as we go through the year? Yeah. A key word it, it, to use, we've already used, is desire. But you got to make sure the ordering is correct. So you'll find a lot in like athletics. Discipline leads to desire. And they'll talk about this all the time, which is totally true. But you're in a very fixed concept. This is what you do. You go to practice at 7 a.m. or you go to practice at whatever. And and so I've just heard this for years where then people try to take that lesson and apply it to leaders and apply it to business and apply it to performance psychology. The problem with that is uh, our concept that we're dealing in as leaders is so much more open-ended. There's so many more... You know, it's not such a fixed construct. So we need to have the word desire first. Structure discipline around your desire. So what I mean is, you know, my desire for where I want the company to be next year means that there are things that I'm doing every week that I love that I'm going to do no matter what. But there are also things that I'm doing that I'm disciplining myself to execute on them weekly so that this vision comes to pass. And for any of us that are pursuing any kind of advancement, our lives, the business, our performance as sales leaders, whatever, there's some things that we're going to love doing and there's some things that aren't going to be our favorites. And we're continuing to build smart lives that, that you know, we get away from the things we're not great at and the things we're not energized by. That's That's just how you advance. But at any given time in our life, there's going to be some things we love doing, some things we don't. And I want to decrease that don't as I advance. But I'm structuring the discipline of what I'm committing to with my, to use what I love your term, you know, the goals plan scorecard of it around the desire that I'm most activated by. Right. That's, this is, you know, that's, that's why, uh, visualizing the future can be so powerful and we've talked about this idea even at a performance level you you want to visualize deeper than performance but yeah what's it look like for me to imagine myself at 44 being able to foot race my grandchildren you know when i'm like whatever 60s that shapes that's an activating picture that shapes choices no doubt no doubt so um so what I'm thinking about is just this idea of the things that I desire. So one of the things that I think a lot about is longevity. So healthy longevity in terms of my life. And so that really frames, and I'm thinking about 30, 40 years out in the future, but that frames certainly how I behave. And that allows me to set weekly goals that I build a discipline around. So mm-hmm. I have those weekly goals. I have my plan for exercise and for nutrition. And then I have my scorecard. I keep score. Um, and it, it keeps me on track. And when the score gets askewed, gets askew, I can um, I can modify and come back to norm. Uh, but what's really cool is, you know, this is something I do for myself. I don't look to other people for validation. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, I would imagine that that's really probably the key to respecting your desire, not being mimetic and doing what you see other people doing. Now, of course, we can't at a subconscious level control all of that. But if, if, um, uh, if I really want to honor what I want out of my life, it's worthwhile taking the time to figure out what I really want and then building the life around that, um, the challenge Absolutely. is figuring out what I really want. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, and, and it starts with finding five minutes on the weekend, somehow, some way, staring out, looking at the sky, holding a warm beverage, if that's what you do in the mornings, and, and really going into that space that's in between the revolving nature of your thoughts and the emotions that come out of that. There's, there's that, that space in between thought and emotion where consciousness is continually springing forth. You know, being this morning for me, I had two things really clarify for next year that looped in so many other pieces that I was wondering how it would come together. And it wasn't, you know, from exposing myself to a ton of other people's consciousness and scrolling through Twitter and offloading the discovery of my own desire, which, you know, I'm not like totally saying negative things about getting on social media. I can go there, but I got to go there to, to learn, to, to maybe be challenged, to explore, to expand, but I can't let it be the North Star for me. I have to find that within myself. Right. And, uh, and, and just finding a way. I mean, this is why it's as age old as, you know, watching the grass grow and sitting on the porch or, or whatever romantic idea people might have of this. Um, this, is, this is hardwired into us through human evolution to need that kind of expansiveness to right. explore. Right. And I can, I can hear leaders from my past characterizing this as soft stuff or fluffy stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, the, this, it is not. Um, and I can say that firmly because, you know, if you don't know who you are and what you want, then all you can do is let, wait for someone else to tell you. Mm-hmm. And especially in a sales environment or as a business owner, if you don't know why you're there, you know, your internal, why am I here? Then you're just going to sit around and wait for other people to tell you what to do. And that's going to create stress for you unless you understand how what you've been asked to do is aligned with, you know, your bigger vision for yourself, your life, et cetera. Uh, so this is, to me, this is essential an essential ingredient to uh, really living a life on purpose and and um, achieving at and then advancing beyond your potential. Yeah. Well, and, and I love that you brought that up because for those that would consider it soft, um, they actually did a study on this and they found that people would look this up, that people would rather get shocked electrically than introspect. Right. It is so hard to look in, to be, to be patient with yourself or to pause, to, to explore. That, that is so difficult. And uh, there was an Irish poet, William B. Yeats. He said, men would rather go into battle than face the dark corners mm-hmm. of their soul. And the idea being, yeah, definitely not soft. It is so difficult. 
it's easier to find a million things to distract yourself from it. Right. Um, and, and, you know, some people listening to this might be at a limbo transition moment in their sales leadership or career where that is forced on them, which is why those moments can be so transformative. They, they will break you apart. You will be disillusioned. But in the shattering of that, you can be put back together better than ever before. Right. Well, why wait for that to happen? Because for some people, they're listening to this and they're, they're not in that kind of space. And, and yet the most strategic they, thing they could do as they think about the rhythm change over the holidays is to set some time aside to explore that before they have to. Because life right. will walk you into it. Right. <laughs> Weirdly. Right. We talk about this idea, either you approach life with curiosity or complacency. And in either way, it is going to, either path is going to lead you to change. One, kicking and screaming, and one, you know, in a more purposeful way. Because that path to complacency will always end up in a, in a crisis that will force you to um, seek clarity. Uh, and do you want to wait for that crisis? Do you want to go through the cost of that? That's the question. Um, I am thinking about the leaders who are listening. So CEOs, sales leaders, any other leader, if, we, if we're sitting here listening, if they're li- listening to this conversation and wondering, well, what they, can they do to help their team members face this reality? Um, it brings me back to the concept that we built our entire sales methodology around servant leadership, right? This mm-hmm. idea that we think about a servant leader serving a shared goal and leading others down a shared path to that goal. Um, And what I love is the phrase shared. And to me, this might get a little long-winded, but I'll let you comment. Um, The idea of shared is what's critical here. So if if I've chosen a job uh, to sell for an organization um, and I have goals, the organization has goals, wouldn't wouldn't it be ideal if the leader helped me as the employee align my personal and professional goals with the goals of the organization. So let's bring my core values in, set them up into alignment with the organization's core values. And then as the leader, I can then, the leader can lead the team member, me, along that shared path. So what we do is we have this, we invest enough time recognizing the alignment and then working, to, and then as we work, together to do the things we love to do and do the things that we don't love to do, we can both look at each other and say, yeah, uh, but we're on purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to build discipline around this skill set, but yeah, I'm on purpose. And the leader can look at the employee and say, yeah, by doing that, you're helping me to be on purpose. And then the leader can look at the CEO and say, yeah, by doing this, we're helping you be on purpose. And then what you have is a uh, aligned and agile organization and what we would call a growth culture built around, um, not built around conflict, but built around um, high, highly functional people, highly functional relationships, et cetera. Mm, I love it. And, and while we have the tools to position them in a datatized way for that and develop them in a comprehensive way at the, at the beginning of this, it does start as simply as asking the people that you lead, are the goals you're pursuing here aligned with what you want to accomplish in your values? Right. 
you know, and the power of that question. I mean, I think the, the hidden power of that question is a lot of people don't even have very defined right. <laughs> goals in such a way that they know exactly what's expected of them at work. But then to make sure beyond that, that this, I love the term that you shared path, uh, is, is evident and well lit. So let's walk it. Right. Right. Well, so, so yeah, I, I really do think it's the leader's responsibility to make sure that team members are aware of this Yes. Uh, because, you know, we, most of the time, I mean, 99% of the time when someone comes to me looking for work because they're part of my network, they've just left a position, they're looking for something new and exciting. And I ask them, look, if money wasn't an object and I had that, and I had the opportunity, I could promise you the opportunity right now, describe for me exactly what you'd be doing every day. And 99% of the time they cannot tell me. Mm-hmm. So there's there's that lack of awareness of what they value and then lack of awareness around what they would do every day to deliver on those and meet those values. And so what they're looking for is a leader to hire them, pay them what they want to make, and then tell them what they be, they should be doing. And of course, understanding this, that this is human nature, as you said before, most of us aren't uh, open to understanding <laughs> those dark corners of who we are. The leader then has to then walk that new hire through a process where they can help that team member understand you know, what motivates them and make sure that the leader is delivering as much of that as possible. Because if you don't, then you have the other side of the coin, which is the leader being confused. I hired this high performer mm-hmm. and they're showing up late. They're not, make, they're not doing the work that they committed to. Everything's great. They're not pissed off. They're just not motivated. It's like, okay, well, so how do you demystify that? You have to look for the alignment. And yeah. what you missed in evaluating that alignment before you said yes, because their resume was so impressive. If only there were people obsessively committed that had developed tools and a process <laughs> to guide people on every step of this. Because mm. <laughs> it is the, you know, it is the differentiator. We know this, where we're headed, especially in the marketplace right now, uh, the people part. I mean, yeah. it's culture spreads around people know what it's like they ask their friends and you've got the the places with great culture right now are getting overrun with applications which right. we've seen a report on this recently and those that don't are searching right. yeah we have 4.2 million people uh quit their jobs uh it's Wild. last month crazy it's the highest number ever uh the great uh, resignation continues um, so I think, I think obviously you're alluding to what we do for a living. Um, I think one of the things that, that I love to talk about is this awareness that we've come to just by working with our clients around this idea that fit equals grit yeah. and, you know, fit role fit generally creates, um, employees who are highly motivated, highly persistent and highly resilient uh, which is what you want in employees, right? This idea of grit. Uh, but what's interesting is defining fit. And, um, you know, we've done a lot of work with uh, behavioral scientists and PhDs and so forth who have helped us think through this and helped us build the tools that we're using today. But I, 
And what I'd like to do is simplify this for the listener around what I think are two ways to look at this, look at fit. You know, one is each of us as individuals have a, uh, I don't want to use the word genetic, but I do use the phrase DNA. We have this kind of like hard-coded DNA um, that really helps us understand the roles that we are naturally Mm -hmm. um, attracted to based on our natural work style. Now, I'm not saying I'm naturally attracted to sales versus accounting. It's not the work, it's the type of work. Sales where I'm problem solving, I'm autonomous, um, I'm engaging um, in um, creative thinking, etc. Maybe I'm following an unstructured path to the end result. So that's that's the fixed stuff that we need to understand about ourselves so that we can identify the right role. But I love where you live, which is in the identity, which is thinking about the adaptive or flexible parts of us that we can shift and change based on um, developing our mindsets, developing our skill sets, and um, you know, based on the values that we develop over time. Yeah, you know. I, for me, I get so excited about this because I think what I didn't know that I was doing for a number of years that was effective with companies was that I had a really dialed in process on this adaptive part and we could develop people to the zenith of their potential. But I was very close to being right all the time, not all the time, but most of the time, because I just take people how they present themselves in regards to the work they actually want to do. Part of managing way more people than I should have over 20 years ago, like having 12 direct reports and a staff beyond that, was I just didn't have time to do anything else other than look at how people were actually working and build around that. So it's the the fixed part, the genetic part you're talking about, and then the flexible part of the mindset. And that's what's so cool about you know what we've been doing with clients the last couple of years is because now we can do – both of those, and both of those are essential. You need this understanding of how you show up to work. It doesn't matter a million times a day. What are you doing? What are you gravitating towards this DNA part? And then the flexible part, how resilient is your psychology in the midst of this? Are you operating with a superior mindset? Because you're going to be challenged because vision is always going to face resistance. And then as you live out both of these, you are then positioned – right, from the DNA standpoint, uh, fit for grit. Mm -hmm. And then you are also developed in a way, fit for grit, to be as, uh, to be at your absolute best from a mindset standpoint. And that's the fun part. And what is the worst thing that's happening right now in, in, in our world and industry is we lean on personality testing, which is really a crappy mishmash of both of these. Because it doesn't separate out the two. It uh, conflates them together in such a way that, I mean, how many organizations have we worked with that have personality testing and still get people that either don't have the psychology or the performance wiring for that role? Right, right. Right. Um yeah, and start some and, arguments over that one. Yeah, not with per, each other, but others. <laughs> and personality assessments are very useful in terms of building cohesive teams and sharing 
insights about how people communicate and so forth. But what I think we're talking about is the development of a, of a matching engine that says, look, as an organization, I have a strategy that I want to achieve. There's a structure that we built in place to, to build the organization around. And then that structure has roles within it. And the, the theory is that if we fill those roles with high performers, the organization will operate as we anticipate, just like a football team. Yeah. We have a structure for the team. We have roles. And the way I define those roles might be my unique way because not every tight end operates the same way from team to team. So the definition is unique. And now I have to find the right candidate to fill that definition. And so there's a matching process required based on their natural competency for the work, which is what we're talking about. And then the coach has to develop them, has to develop their fit so they can achieve and reach and then redefine their potential in that role. And when you have both things going on, we have the right person, the right role, and we're developing them uh, to overachieve in that role. That's when you have uh, you have a you have somebody who's uh, who onboards quickly, who produces quickly, who is retained long term, and then you have somebody who is you know recognizes how unique their situation is, and so yes, you do have a high level of retention, and of course that builds a culture that attracts other folks to your organization, and then of course. If you don't focus on this, you have the exact opposite. You risk having an organization where people are just flowing through, not sticking, not growing. Yeah. Well, and and you know, I, I will I will have to learn from your wisdom and probably leave this point, uh, much as I have in other domains like servant leader sales. Um, but I actually think I really do think this, and I, and I know. As we talk with companies, we don't necessarily need to talk about personality. What we do with the the genetic wiring for how you show up and work, and the 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 flexible part, the performance psychology piece. Actually, I do think those are even better at how to get along as a team, because what's what's happening now, just because you know somebody's Myers Briggs, and you think you know how to communicate with them. You know, it hasn't solved the problems that right. are happening. All the sideways energy, all the hiding of vulnerabilities, all the pretenses that try to make you appear in the best possible light, right? The first paragraph of Robert Keegan's book, In Everyone Culture. You know, personality isn't delivering the goods. Right. So here, so here's how I'd help, I'd help um, explain what, what you're, I think you're talking about. Um, Every, every personality assessment I've taken um, has, been, has done two things. It's designed to help me understand who I am, right? But it doesn't help me understand how I should behave. It can help me also understand, the second thing it can help me do is understand who someone else is in terms of their personality. So if I, if I meet someone who's really hardcore, you know, really intense, loud, bombastic, et cetera. Yeah, DISC can help me figure out how to identify their personality as if I didn't know already just by virtue of the fact that they're treating yeah. me this way. Yeah. But it doesn't help me figure out how to reach them, right? And how to behave in front of them. When we work on identity and we work on giving people tools to communicate, that's where I think you're headed, right? 
Yeah. It's not just recognizing who someone is. It's okay, now how do I understand who I am and the best way that I can communicate with that person? Because at the end of the day, mirroring somebody else's personality is not the answer. Because yeah. I end up walking around all day being a different, showing up differently for every person that I meet. That's just not sustainable and it's not healthy. Yeah. I, you know, and, and that for me, this might be another controversial point. We really haven't advanced the field, if we're just talking in terms of personality, beyond Aristotle. The four main types, phlegmatic, cleric, sanguine, melancholy. Like he saw that pattern way back when. And virtually every personality profile tool breaks down along very similar lines. Like I know people make it more complicated to make their tool matter more. Um, and, and I just, yeah, there's such a deeper way to look at it. How do you show up in work really naturally? Like what are you really wanting to work on? What do you put off? What do you gravitate towards? What do you get excited about? That's this potential, the DNA, the wiring. And then what underneath the surface are these desires that are really driving you and, and shape how then you're showing up in the softer parts, communication, right. interactions, you know, all that. And so, right. you know, right. I, I think that the solution, if it were uh, personality tests, we would have much better results. Than we right, did. right. We wouldn't be still looking. Yeah, I, th- I laugh because uh, in sales, personality is um, the, the the idea is that a cert- only a certain personality can succeed in sales. And, um, you know, we know that there is no statistical relevance from one personality to the next. There is some connection between uh, the personality of the salesperson and the personality of the buyer. So if I'm if I'm selling to folks who have a certain type of personality or approach the world in a certain way, if I can mirror that personality, then I can be successful. And if we hire someone with a similar personality, great. But the personality is, the personality connection is just a way to help smooth communication. Personality has nothing to do with predicting the decisions I make and the actions I take. And I think that's what you and I are talking about. How do we predict the decisions someone's going to make and the actions they're going to take in the role? And then how do I help develop their identity so they make, they collect the proper data and make the proper decisions and take the proper actions? So it's a, it's not insignificant, um, but it's, it's new and uh, it's an advancement on what we have had, which was developed, you know, post World War II, basically in the '40s, and hasn't changed much in 70 years. Yeah, and maybe 2000, Aristotle. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, crediting a Greek with that would be fantastic for my self-esteem. Man. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> well, look, I think the for me wrapping up, I'm thinking about. The end of the year, I'm thinking about this idea where we're making resolutions. I'm thinking about all the, as we look back on the year that passed, all the things that we accomplished, but also the things that we didn't accomplish that we want to bring into next year. And I feel like we've touched on some key helpful things that folks can take with them to help them think about how they identify what goals will be important next year and then what they can do to actually execute on them. Yeah, I think we've got some stuff in their minds now. Hopefully this weekend they'll sit there and pause for a moment. Take some time with some hot beverage, a uh, uh, hot beverage potentially in the, in the sunshine and give us some thought. All 
All right, man. Thanks a bunch. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace.